Our New Testament scripture reading this Lord's Day is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. (coughs) But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. (coughs) The Lord bless his word this Lord's Day as it has been read and now as it is preached. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to our text as it's found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where we read these words. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. People embarking upon a vacation or a business trip do not ordinarily just hop into the car and head toward the general direction in which they want to go, all the time having no idea which highway they need to take in order to get to their destination. 
I don't know about you, but I don't like to be lost. A good map or clear directions are worth their weight in gold. <clears throat> and it's interesting, we will make all the necessary preparations, reservations, accommodations just to travel from one point on the map to another point on the map. But do we take a similar degree of care when considering how to travel in this spiritual pilgrimage from earth to heaven? <clears throat> do we honestly and earnestly appeal to God, who is all wise, to guide our steps throughout the day? Do we fervently study the road map, that is, the Holy Scriptures, given to us by the Lord in order that we might order our paths according to His Word? Or do we become rather so preoccupied, so worried, or even so self-confident that we look to our own short-sighted wisdom and resources to carry us through every day? Well, this Lord's Day, we conclude our study of the Proverbs of Solomon by considering our need for daily direction in our lives. We have the promise of divine direction given to us in Proverbs 3.6, and he shall direct thy paths. But dear ones, the order and sequence given to us for our direction must also be heeded if we would enjoy this blessing. Notice, and these form the main points from the sermon, notice the order and sequence. First, trust in the Lord. Second, lean not upon man. Third, acknowledge the Lord. And then, fourthly, he shall direct thy path. Well, let us consider then... <clears throat> the first main point, trust in the Lord. Here we see, dear ones, God's word, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for trust conveys the idea of to repose, to recline, to relax, to lie down. No doubt you have had the experience of having worked so hard that you come alongside your bed at night totally exhausted from a hard day's work and you just kind of collapse right into your bed. And as soon as your head hits the pillow, you're out. Well, dear ones, that's the idea here of trust. The Hebrew word that's behind this word trust. That is what is conveyed in this particular word. Now, I doubt that you have ever found yourself unable to rest all night because you were worrying as to whether your bed would support you throughout the night. Dear ones, because you have confidence in your bed, you can relax and rest rather than worry and fear. Let me ask you, when is the last time you stood next to your bed and debated with yourself for an hour as to whether your bed would support you or not? You say, well, that's foolish. Well, I agree, it is foolish. 
And yet how much more foolish we are when we do not trust our Heavenly Father, who being Almighty God, not only upholds and supports us moment by moment, but upholds and supports the whole world and the entire universe by his sovereign power. Dear ones, here we are suspended in space upon this huge sphere that we call earth. God upholds and supports this planet by his almighty power and has never once allowed it to fall. And yet we worry whether God will catch us if we cast ourselves entirely upon him and his promises. Oh, we of little faith. Before we can repose and rest in God as we do in our beds at night, we must know who he is, that he is infinitely more worthy of our confidence than a mere bed. Well, let us consider in whom we are to trust. The object of our trust is the Lord. Trust in the Lord, our text says. In our English version, it is translated the Lord, but the Hebrew behind it is four letters, oftentimes in other places, translated Jehovah in our English version. Uh, other, others have translated it as Yahweh. This is the personal name of the Lord our God and is used more in Scripture than any other designation for God, Jehovah. Because this name of God is derived from the Hebrew verb, I am, it conveys the idea that God is entirely self-sufficient in himself. He is the creator of all things and is not dependent upon any of his creatures. He has no needs and all things exist for him. He does not exist for all things. But also concerning this name Jehovah, it also conveys to us that God is eternally self-existent. He is not bound by past, present, or future. He is always I am. Only he can say I was, I am, and I shall be all at the same time. Just as the space which God created and which we call this vast universe, cannot contain him, for he is infinite and has no boundaries. Even so, time, which he also created, and which we know in terms of past, present, and future, cannot contain him, for he is infinite and cannot be confined or limited to just the past or the present or the future. He transcends, dear ones, all space and all time. And thirdly, concerning this name of Jehovah. Jehovah also reveals to us the ever-present God of our salvation. He is always present, not only simply to be self-existent and to glory in himself, but he is always present to his people. In Psalm 46, 1 through 3, we find these encouraging words. God is our refuge and strength, 
a very present help in trouble. He's not simply a help in times past. He's not merely a help or only a help in times to come, but he's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Although not bound by time, he condescends, dear ones. He condescends in undeserved love and mercy to reveal himself to us in time. You see, he's not some God who simply created us with great power and then left us to ourselves. He has come to us to be our Redeemer, to become our Deliverer in our present afflictions and trials through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to save us from the wrath to come. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He chose to. Not because we deserved his deliverance, but because he would manifest through his deliverance his justice and his grace in Christ Jesus in showing forth his justice and how much he hates sin. That he would send his only begotten son. That it would take even his own son to pay the penalty of sin. And yet showing his mercy and his love and his grace to us. That he was not even willing to withhold his own son if it meant our salvation. Dear ones, in Jesus Christ we are absolutely assured that God has become our Heavenly Father and is ever present with us. Jehovah hears our cry. Jehovah hears and sees even those tears which fall from from our eyes. Jehovah knows the anguish of our hearts. And even when he does not deliver us immediately, as he, as we might pray that he would, <clears throat> nevertheless, his delay, we call it a delay, it's not a delay in his timetable, it's only a delay in our timetable. His delay is for our well-being, it's for our good. He delays because he loves us so much, not because he despises us and hates us. Because he is so wise, he knows when is the very best time to bring that very deliverance so that we continue to trust him and wait upon him and to grow more and more like Jesus Christ who even learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Dear ones, the object of our complete trust is not a manufactured bed but the God who spoke this universe and all that is within it into being by his word. The object of our entire trust, that is the Lord, that is Jehovah, cannot fail to hold us and support us. For nothing in the universe is stronger than he so as to prevail against him. Nothing in this universe can change or alter the love that God has for his elect children 
Not even our sin can alter or change his love. Not even our weaknesses or our failures as his elect children can alter his love for us. For he saved us knowing the worst about us. Knowing how deep into depravity we have fallen. Knowing those innermost wicked desires in our hearts and how many times we have fallen into the same sin. He knows the worst about us. And yet, he has loved us from everlasting to everlasting. And he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord simply has no equal. No equal. And he cannot fail. He is ever faithful and is ever true. And he will keep, dear ones, all his promises he has made to you. Therefore, your confidence. Your confidence is never, ever misplaced when you rest and relax in him from all that worries and tires you in this world. When you find in him something far better than your bed, that you can cast yourselves upon him and know that he will not fail you, he'll support you, then you begin to rest. Then you begin to relax. It's in God's hands. God controls all. And he does all for my good and my well-being. A young David cast himself upon Jehovah and a giant over nine feet tall was brought to the ground by a mere stone in a sling. A poor widow who was gathering sticks for her last meal, for her self and for her son, trusted the word of the Lord through Elijah and prepared a meal for Elijah rather than for herself and her son. And the flour in that barrel and the oil in that bottle did not fail throughout the entire famine. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rested in the Lord even when a fiery furnace was heated seven times hotter than normal because they would not bow the knee before this image because they would not compromise their faith in God. The Son of God kept even the smell of smoke from sticking to their garments. Stephen reposed in the Lord when he was stoned by the Jews for his testimony. Though not delivered from that cruel death, his faith was not misplaced, for he saw the Lord standing, God's right hand, standing to receive him into heaven. And Paul was given a physical infirmity, which he called a thorn in the flesh, to prevent him from boasting. But he rested in the word of the Lord, nevertheless. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect. In weakness. Your faith is never misplaced, dear ones, when it is placed in the Lord. There and there alone will you find true rest from all your worries and from all the weariness of this life. Note that the extent of our trust is said to be trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Such a God deserves not just a part of our heart, but is entitled to all of our heart. This does not speak, dear ones, of the size or the strength of our faith, 
but rather of the sincerity of our faith. Well, how do you know whether your faith is, in fact, sincere? Because, again, we can certainly go through times in our life, even at the point of conversion. How does one know that their faith is sincere, since they haven't even had a chance at that point to perform any good works? How do they know their faith is sincere? Well, let me ask you, where is your faith? Where is it directed? If the God who has revealed himself in the Bible, dear ones, is the object of your faith, your faith is sincere. What does your faith behold? Is it directed to your righteousness or Christ's righteousness? Does your faith look to your ability or your inability? Or does your faith look to Christ's ability? and His almighty power. Does your faith rest in your faithfulness or does your faith rest in Christ's faithfulness to keep His word and to keep His promises? Does your faith eye and embrace the promise of God or does it embrace the promise of man? There was no matter how small your faith, if you are looking to Jehovah and his promises rather than to yourself or to others, if you're looking outside of yourself to the Lord God and his righteousness and his power and his faithfulness, your faith is sincere, no matter how weak it may be. One may trust the Lord with all his heart and yet have the faith the size of a mustard seed. For it is not the size of our faith that moves mountains, regardless of what those mountains may be in your life. It is not the size of your faith. Whether those mountains are financial difficulties, whether they are health problems, whether they are besetting sins, whether they are stubborn habits that won't let go, whether it is loneliness, whether it is unemployment, whether it is attacks from friends or foes, it is the object of your faith that secures you that supports you. It's the object of your faith that determines the sincerity of your faith. And the object of our faith is Jehovah the Lord who works that which is impossible to man. Well, having said what sincerity of faith is, We don't want to stay the size of a mustard seed either as far as our faith goes. We do want to grow in our faith. That certainly must be the desire of all Christians, to grow in their faith. They're not content simply to remain the size of a mustard seed. They want their faith to grow into like a mighty mountain. Well, how do you grow in faith? Let me, there are many things that can be said, but in a, sh- in a relatively short period of time that I have, I want to focus on one particular aspect. You grow in faith, dear ones, by growing in your knowledge of Jehovah. You grow in faith by growing in your knowledge of Jehovah. A knowledge of who he is and a knowledge of how he works. A knowledge of who he is, all of his characteristics, all of his attributes, but also 
going and seeing God work in history, past, present, and future. Working in your life. Working in, in this nation. In the judgments He brings. Seeing God's hand at every place, everywhere you turn. You see the hand of God growing in your knowledge to recognize that God is alive and working in every way. Dear ones, for the more you know Him, who He is and how He works, the more you must trust Him and the more you must love Him. Our weakness of faith, dear ones, only reveals our present ignorance of the greatness, love, power, wisdom, holiness, truthfulness, and faithfulness of our God. Certainly may reveal not only ignorance, but willful ignorance by way of of, uh, unbelief, by way of of, uh, sinful doubt. And it certainly can lead to that. But I want to focus, dear ones, at this point merely upon or only upon that aspect that you cannot trust one whom you do not know. If you do not know the Lord, even as a Christian, if you are not growing in your knowledge of the Lord, you are not going to be growing in your faith and trust in the Lord. To know Him is to trust Him. Dear children of the living God, to the degree that Jehovah is a stranger to to us, to that degree we will find it difficult to rest in Him for all our needs. Is it your constant prayer? O Lord, teach me to know Thee. Teach me to commune with Thee. Teach me to see Thee at work in every area of my life and in the world all around me. Teach me to know thee that I may learn to trust thee, that I may learn and grow in my love for thee. The second main point. And these, incidentally, whether it's trust in the Lord, whether it's lean not upon man or acknowledge the Lord, these first three are intended to communicate a command. They are intended not to be mere suggestions to us, but they tell us the very will of God for us. Lean not upon man. Not only are we positively to trust in the Lord, but If we would know God's will and direction in our lives, we are negatively not to lean upon man. Here we further understand that that the true meaning of trust in the Lord is to recline in the Lord, to rest in the Lord, to repose in the Lord, because here it is contrasted with not leaning Upon man, and lean not upon thine own understanding. Whereas we are to lean upon Jehovah with a sincere confidence that he will not and cannot fail us, we are not to lean upon man with that same kind of confidence, for man is limited in power, limited in knowledge and in wisdom. 
And man's love and faithfulness, dear ones, may alter and change. But such is not true of Jehovah, the great I Am. Here's one of the great hindrances, dear ones, to our trust and confidence in Jehovah. We walk by sight rather than by faith. We swallow the lie that seeing is believing. We may lean upon our own understanding, dear ones, as a man, in at least going in two directions. Let me mention those two very briefly. We may lean upon our own understanding in fear, first of all, in fear, whereby our fears become so big, so real, so ever-present with us that God shrinks in size by comparison. Our fears and worries cast such an enormous shadow in our lives that the Lord of hosts is somewhat, somewhere in the background. In such a case, <clears throat> our own understanding perverts what is reality and making a person, affliction, or cir- circumstance mightier than the God of creation. Dear ones, we cannot be presently trusting in the Lord while we act and think as if God cannot save us and deliver us from the clutches of that overwhelming fear. Remember Peter, who leaned upon his own understanding as he stepped out of the boat to walk to the, toward the Lord, having been invited by, God, uh, by Christ to, to come to him, And he leaned upon his own understanding as he began to look about him and saw the waves crashing, felt the wind upon his face. He leaned upon his own understanding, took his eyes off of the Lord, who was the object of his faith. And he fell beneath those waters. But even at that, the glorious thing about our Lord, even as Peter failed to trust him in that circumstance, the Lord reached down and lifted him up out of that particular circumstance, out of that situation. The questions asked, dear ones, when fear grows to such a degree that we can hardly see anything else are these. Is Jehovah God absolutely trustworthy? So you need to talk to yourself and fears overwhelm you. You need to have a little bit of self-talk here. You know, the psalmist says time and again, O thou my soul, he speaks to himself concerning the truth of God. He talks to himself. We need to say, O thou my soul, is Jehovah God absolutely trustworthy? Is it possible for God to lie? If the Lord is indeed trustworthy and cannot lie, dear ones, then all His promises must be true. Promises such as those in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, your food, your clothing, and your shelter. Matthew 7.11 If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? 
the Lord will not deny any good gift. And if you ask for something that's not good, the Lord isn't going to give it to you. If the Lord determines who, being all wise and knowing all things, knowing what is best for you, if he delays in giving it to you, even if it is good, that is what's best for you. If he never gives it to you in this life, you'll be rewarded by being given that which is good for you forever and ever in eternity. The Lord never takes from you, dear ones, something in this life that he does not replace with something far better. The Lord always gives good gifts to his children. Do you believe that? That is what God says. Dear ones, all the promises of God are made to us in Christ Jesus so that if we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his promises are ours. And remember that trust and courage is not the absence of fear altogether. It doesn't mean that there isn't some fear even if we are trusting in the Lord. Even if he is the object of our faith, that all fear must be entirely removed from our lives. In fact, it is at those very times when fear, and we face it very honestly, staring us straight in the face, and we turn from that fear and we say, that fear is there, but I trust in the Lord to deliver me. I will not succumb to my fears. I will not allow those fears to overwhelm me by God's grace. God is greater than my fears. A second way in which we may lean upon our own understanding is not only in fear, but going in the opposite direction of self-confidence. When we think our gifts and abilities are so sufficient to meet our needs that we do not need to cast ourselves moment by moment upon the Lord, or we forget to cast ourselves upon the Lord, but depend upon our own sufficiency, our own gifts, our own resources, our own possessions, our own abilities. When everything is under control, or so it seems, our need of God very often drifts into the background. The Lord does want us to use, dear ones, our minds, our bodies, our gifts, and our resources as means to serving Him, serving ourselves, and serving others. The Lord is not condemning the use of means when He says that we are not to lean upon man's understanding or our own understanding. He's not condemning the use of means. He's simply saying that when means become in our minds, the object of our faith, the object of our trust, that to which we look and we have taken our eyes off of God and put that faith rather in the means, then we have leaned upon our own understanding. Then we are trusting in ourselves or in the resources of man to deliver us rather than in God. But he does not want us, dear ones, to misplace our confidence or act as if we ourselves are self-sufficient. We read this Lord's Day from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Speaking of ministers, but the principle applies. 
None of us are self-sufficient. Our sufficiency is in God. Let us never forget our sufficiency is in God who is all-sufficient, who is completely self-sufficient. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10, speaks of how he persecuted the church. He's the least of the apostles because of the sins that he committed against the church of Jesus Christ. Even taking those and witnessing to and bearing testimony to their death as Stephen. Taking mothers and fathers out of homes while children, no doubt, were crying, pleading for their mothers and fathers not to be taken. He took them off, all this professed faith, to Jerusalem. No doubt many of them were put to death. This is what was upon Paul's conscience. But by the grace of God, he was forgiven. But I don't think that he just immediately forgot about those things just because he was forgiven of those things. But he used it in his life. He used even that which was a setback from human from a human perspective, that which was a sin in his life. He used it to promote the grace of God in his life. And he could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. See what God has delivered me from? See what God has saved me from? That's the way I was, but I'm no longer that way now by God's grace. And His grace has not been ineffectual in my life because I have worked more diligently, he says, than all the other apostles. He didn't sit upon his laurels because he had received the grace of God. He was active in applying the means of God's grace in his life. The questions to ask, dear ones, when self-confidence leads us to forget, ignore, and neglect the Lord are these. If every breath I take comes from the Lord, is not every step I take and every decision I make from the Lord as well? We read in Proverbs chapter 16, which should curb our pride and our self-sufficiency and our self-confidence. Proverbs 16.1, verse 9. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Am I, another question, am I so wise that I can never err? But God is all wise. Am I so strong that I can always provide for myself or deliver myself from every temptation and from every trial by my own resources? But God is able, for He is the Almighty One. Beloved, one of the most conspicuous fruits, before moving on to the next point, the most, one of the most conspicuous fruits that one is not leaning upon his own understanding is not trusting in man in either direction of fear or in the direction of self-confidence is the fruit of thanksgiving to God for all that he has done and for who he is. A thankful heart, dear ones, reveals a trusting heart. Whereas a continual whining heart 
continual complaining heart, a continual murmuring heart, reveals a heart of unbelief. A heart that is not trusting in the Lord. Does the thanksgiving that pours forth from your mouth reveal that you are leaning upon the Lord? Or does the murmuring and complaining in your heart reveal that you are leaning upon man? The third main point is the command, acknowledge the Lord. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. When you look at the English word acknowledge, you should should see a four-letter word right there in the middle of that that word, the word no, right there in the middle. In fact, the Hebrew word used for acknowledge is the very word no. In all thy ways, know the Lord. Here the Lord commands us to know him in all our ways. That is, not only to profess him, and acknowledge Him with our mouths as being the one who directs all of our ways in a general sense. (coughs) But to know Him in a familiar sense, in all kinds of circumstances that confront us in our lives. How we become so preoccupied with our work and our busyness throughout the day that we forget to know the Lord in all of our ways. That does not mean that we must consciously pray and seek God's will before making every single decision in life from the socks that we wear to every step that we take, one step in front of the other, literally. No, it doesn't mean that. Rather, it means that we should live in the conscious presence of a sovereign, holy, loving, and faithful God throughout the day. We should, however, want to know and perceive the Lord as working to glorify himself, not only in the so-called important parts of our life, but also in those that appear to be more mundane and ordinary. Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 as a constant encouragement to us and how we are to acknowledge the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord who exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Dear ones, is Christ simply, I ask, is Christ simply a part of your life or is he your life? Again, I remind you what the Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Have you relegated the Lord to a neat, comfortable corner in your thoughts, desires, words, and deeds so that he does not make life too uncomfortable for you? 
Or do you want to know the Lord in familiar fellowship in all of your ways? And if he makes life uncomfortable for you because things in your life need to be changed, you say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to know you. Whatever it means, whatever changes in my life have to occur, I want to know you. Do you want to know him not only to comfort and encourage you when you're down, but do you want to know him in his rebukes and his correction when you stray as well? Do you want his will in your life, dear ones, more than anything else? Even if you struggle daily with the desires of the flesh, do you want to know, dear ones, the will of God in overcoming all of those sins, those besetting sins in your life? Many will say, Many will say they want to know the will of God for their lives. Many will say it. Many professing Christians will declare it. But then, when they do know it, they suppress it or they ignore it because it is not what they wanted to hear. In Jeremiah chapter 42, and I'll simply mention these and you can look them up at your, at your leisure, first part of Jeremiah 42, certain men of Judah come to Jeremiah and say, we want to know what God wants us to do. Should we stay here in, in Judah or should we flee to Egypt? And they said, whether it's good or bad, whatever the Lord says, we will do. That's what they said to Jeremiah. And the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, you just remain there even though Babylon is going to, uh, Babylon is going to come and he's go- uh, the king of Babylon is going to destroy uh, the land. This is my judgment. Well, in, in Jeremiah chapter 43, they come back to the first few verses there in Jeremiah 43. After having heard what the Lord told them, they come back and say, you've spoken falsely, Jeremiah. The Lord didn't tell you to tell us that. We will not listen to you. We will not obey what you've said. And that is so often the case, dear ones. We want to know God's will until we know it. And then when we hear it, in all the discomfort that it's going to bring into our life, we don't want to know the Lord. We don't want to acknowledge Him in all our ways at that point. But the Lord calls us to do so if we would know His direction and reap the promise, and he shall direct thy path. Our desire to know the will of God for our lives, or receive his direction in our lives, dear ones, will be manifested in our desires to obey him, in that which we already know to be his revealed will to us. We can't say that we want to really know the will of the Lord if we're not seeking to obey him in the things that he's already shown us. If we're just basically ignoring and neglecting those not working on those areas at all, that we basically just push them back into the background in our lives. And we really can't say, I want to know the will of God, because God has already revealed His will to you. What are you doing with it? We are only hypocrites if we want to know God's will in an unclean, uh, unclear area of our lives, but are not seeking to do His will in a very clear area of our lives beginning with our family relationships, marriages, 
beginning to apply the will of God even in those relationships. Finally, the promise, and he shall direct thy paths. Literally, the promise here reads, and he shall make straight thy paths. That is, instead of having confusion as to which course that we should pursue, bends in the road, various uh, paths that go this direction or that direction, all the options that confront us in life, the Lord says he will make straight and clear your path, the way in which you should go. That's his promise to you. He shall direct or make straight and clear thy paths. Dear ones, here's the promise of God upon which we can stand when we are struggling, when we are confused, when we are afraid, when we are worried, when we are discouraged, the all-knowing and all-wise God knows the beginning from the end. He has already ordained your steps. From all eternity, He has ordained your steps. He is not lost, dear ones, even if you may feel as though you cannot find your way. God's not lost. He's not out of control even if you feel as if you're spinning on ice in a car that seems out of control. Jehovah promises to make your paths straight or clear before you. He doesn't promise to you, however, that there will be no problems on that path. He doesn't promise that there will be no heartaches that there will be no pains, that there will be no disappointments, that there will be no persecution, that there will be no afflictions or trials. He doesn't promise that. He promises He will make your path straight and clear before you. He promises that He will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that he will not give you more than you can bear, but but will with the trial or temptation grant the grace that you may be able to endure it. He does promise to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He does promise to make your paths clear in this life by His revealed will and by His providence. I guess the only question is, at this point, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him and walk in those paths when they are revealed? It may mean when you're walking in the paths which God has made clear to you. It may mean working where you don't want to work. It may mean waiting longer for your healing than you want to wait. It may mean throwing away certain magazines, movies, or music. It may mean suffering for your faith in Christ for His truth. Do you need God's direction right now? Do you want God's direction right now? Do you desire God's direction right now or in the future concerning a decision that you must make? 
trust in the Lord in sincerity. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge and know the Lord and he shall direct thy path. Here, dear child of God, I would submit to you, is the bed. Here's the bed of the righteous in which you can rest and be in safety and in security. For who or what can alarm you when the Lord is he in whom you rest? Let us stand together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, how thou dost challenge us, O Lord, to live outside of our comfort zone, to not look at the comforts of life as that ideal for which we should attain or achieve in this life, but, Lord, to be pleasing to thee as being the ideal. To trust in Thee, to not lean upon our own understanding, to acknowledge Thee in all of our ways, and to enjoy Thy promises such as, and, and Thou shalt direct our path. Our Father, we pray that Thou would encourage Thy saints today with Thy word, that Thou would lift up their hearts even to heaven, that Thou would cause them to see, Father, that their faith is sincere when Thou art the object of their faith, no matter how much they struggle. That Thou, Father, would, would give to them renewed hope to be able to not debate, Lord God, whether to cast themselves upon Thee, but, O oh Lord, to know that even if there is delay, as it were, in our deliverance, that there can be peace, there can be security and safety in our souls as we rest in the living God. For much of the struggle that we go through in this life is simply because we have not learned to rest in the Lord. We pray, Father, that Thou would give to us the grace to do so, to grow in our knowledge of Thee in order that we may trust Thee. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- 450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue 
Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.